Good morning, family and friends of Greater Little Zion Baptist Church. We welcome you to this time of worship and fellowship. We are certainly glad to see you in this space today where we virtually have a chance to commune one with another and listen to the word of God. We're going to invite you at this time, if you would, to observe the presentation we have in recognition of our graduates. So sit back and enjoy. Through the tears that made her blind She felt such pain Some spoke in anger Heard folks whisper There's no place here for kind Still on she came Through the shame that flushed her face Till at last she knelt before his feet And though she spoke no words Everything she said was heard As she poured her love for the master From her box of alabaster And I've come to pour my praise on him like all from Mary's alabaster bud. Don't be angry if I wash his feet with my tears and I dry them with my hair.
it's a road On the road rolls a mighty storm And I heard I heard a voice from heaven Telling me You gotta stand out there alone If you ever If you ever wanna get to my heaven If you ever wanna get to heaven If you ever wanna get to my heaven You gotta stand You gotta stand presentation this morning as again we are recognizing those who are our graduates in our congregation uh, for this calendar year. Would you join me this morning in the book of 1st John chapter 2, 1st John chapter 2, we're going to read the first six verses, 1st John chapter 2 verses 1 through 6 as we continue our exposition in the book of John's letter, 1st John chapter 2 beginning at verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is a perpetuation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this, we know that we are in him. 
The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Word of the Lord. I want to take a moment to really take a look at verses 1, 2, and hopefully verse 3 as we sort of put a tag on this text. This is my story. This is my story. As we consider the words of John in this letter, we're certainly invited back to reminisce upon the breadth and the width of the lyrics, the verses of those grand old hymns that many of us who grew up in church remember listening to Sunday in and Sunday out. It is very well 40, perhaps even 50 years later, but those hymns still resonate deeply within our spirit. I want to interrogate one this morning because it has reference to the substance to which John elevates in his writing. And I want us to grasp that single line in which this hymnist gives us from which I borrowed the title, This Is My Story. Here's the hymn. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. Those are the words Fanny Crosby supplied when she heard the music by Phoebe Knapp, who asked her after playing the music, what does that tune say to you? She zeroed in on several critical themes that John tells us this morning, and I want us to push those themes and yet at the same time rejoice in how those themes have significant contribution to our own spirituality. It's the word assurance, blessed assurance. Not a hope-so salvation, but a no-so salvation. For John notes for us in 1 John 5 and 13, these things have I written to you that you may believe on the name of Jesus, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe in the name of his son. Notice the emphasis is on the word know. It's a Greek word that means to know by experience. It's an experiential knowledge perceived or seen through to the point of becoming convicted in your soul. In other words, when one talks about how they know Jesus Christ, it's not a knowing by way of conversation or information perceived from others. It's an in-depth relationship. It's a deep interrelating, working laboring, conversing with an almighty God through his son Christ. It's that no aspect that causes the conviction in my soul that I know, that I know, that I know that I'm saved by his grace. John uses some 15 times this word oidai. It's the same word that Paul uses in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12 when he provides his own emphatic fact of knowing who Christ is. He says, for I know in whom I believed and I am persuaded that he is able 
to keep. In the Greek, that is a single word. Instead of two words to keep, it's the single word, to guard. It means that God is able to take care of that which I have committed unto him. Here is what both John and Paul is arguing. I know that I'm saved. I know that I'm blessed. And I know that I have an assurance in who Jesus Christ is. That's the first thing that John elevates is that we have an assurance of who Christ is because we know him personally as Lord and Savior. But the hymn goes on to portray the second theme. Not only blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, oh what a foretaste of glory divine, but heir of salvation. My deliverance from eternal separation from God to now eternal habitation with God. Now listen to the word salvation. It is a deep but yet rich word arguing not just for the eternal deliverance, but in the text, I want, I'm pretty much convinced that John is arguing that it's not just the eternal life that we are looking at, although that's critical, but John moves us to recognize that salvation is not just eternal, but it's existential. It's existential because we get a chance to experience the God now on this side of the earth, and that's why we are called heirs of salvation. We get a chance to witness just as they did in the first centuries when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what makes salvation so vivid there is not the talk of heaven, but the experience of heaven on earth, the healing of the blinded eyes, the healing of the withered hand, the stretching out of that which has been shortening. It is this experience in life that one says that I am an heir to a kingdom that's not just out there, but a kingdom that is here right now. I can look and see my experience right here on earth. Heir of salvation, that's the second thing John portrays to us, this idea of being saved now while we are in this context of living. But purchased of God. That's the next thing that John is going to live for us because it reminds us in this idea of being purchased of God. We're once again driven back to the language, to the lyrics, to the words of an old hymn, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it and made it white as snow. Here's what John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. He says that Jesus is the propitiation. That may sound like a big word, but let's simplify it. That Jesus became the satisfaction for God's requirement for our sins. Not only for ours, says John, but also for those of the whole world. In other words, the death of Christ was not for a particularity, but for all. So therein lies the hope and the joy and the fullness of John 3.16, for God so loved that he gave his only begotten, that whoso 
ever. And in the context of that, whosoever fits any individual whose desire is to come to know Christ as Savior. It's Christ who satisfied, became, says John, the perpetuation for our sins. And in the shedding of that blood, he washed us. And now we sing born of his spirit because that blood in its symbolic gesture not only cleansed our sins, but it regenerated us from the penalty of our sins. These are themes and words that have deep relation to what John is trying to convey in these first six verses of this second chapter. This assurance of belief is anchored in John's own purpose that he writes in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, and verse 31. He says, these things are right unto you again that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But I want to dig deeper because I think John is saying more and although what he's saying is exciting, but he's saying something deeper. John is also stating his purpose of writing this letter so that we are not spiritually destroyed, pathologically possessed, or emotionally diminished by the act of sin, missing the mark, the motive that leads to death. I believe John is contending that you and I will have those moments when we will miss the mark. Here's the good news for someone who may have been falsely informed that once you become a Christian that all sin disappears, that the temptation disappears, that the invitation disappears. And I believe John makes clear that whenever you become a believer, in fact, the intensity of that temptation may occur. It may push itself even closer to the forefront of trying to possess your life. We're going to violate the righteousness of God when we go left and we know that God has quickly told us to go right and yet I don't believe that John is referring to just a mere or occasional act of sin as some do believe. But I also believe that John here is referring to when we fall into a rut, when we fall into a habit, when we fall into a hole, when our life shifts from being in the light to being in the dark. Some would argue that you're not a Christian if you sin repeatedly, and by that I mean if you have a habit, if you're in a rut, if you're in a hole, some would contend that there's no way you could be a believer in Jesus Christ. Some would also believe that if you fail, you fail their moral compass and they have the right to condemn you to eternal damnation. I don't believe that. What I am saying is that I'm taking literally what John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, that if anyone fails, here's what John is saying, He's raising the question to us to consider today. Have you fallen? Have you fallen off of the wagon? Have you failed into a rut? Have you fallen into a rut? Have you gotten yourself into a space where your life is repeatedly being challenged by an act, by a suggestion, by something that you know is not pleasing? You've slipped back in some old habit. Are you depicting a composition 
Are you now composed in a way that you're not proud of? John arrives and assures that you're not eternally lost. In fact, John makes clear in his gospel, says Jesus, all that the Father puts in my hand, no one can pluck them out. No one and nothing. And John is contending that you are eternally secured in the hand of God. But that disobedience can be disruptive. As we talked about last week, how missing the mark has an intentionality of causing you to get off the course and call our lives to become off where we want them to be. And John is saying, if we sin, if anyone sins, look at the text real closely again. Here's the joy, here's the shout, here's the glory of this text. Verse one, if anyone sins, of chapter two, we have an advocate, says John. And that's starting news because the advocate is the same word that Jesus used in the gospel of John by way of comforter. It comes from the very same root, parakletos, it's the same meaning, except Jesus used the word periclesis, which is a consolation, an exhortation, in comfort, a work of the Holy Spirit. Why John says we have an advocate, someone who stands on our behalf to plead our case. Do you think that God didn't know that you and I would make mistakes, that we would miss the mark? Do you think that God did not know that we would fall into a rut, that our lives would get off course. And here's the phrase, John assures us in verse one again, we have the collective, those who are followers of Jesus Christ, we have in the present tense, that's what that phrase is, it's in the present tense, we have, meaning we keep on having over and over again. That's how I know that God already knew what would happen, but God has provided grace. God has provided mercy. God has provided forgiveness and restoration. When I fall, he's there not only to pick me back up, but to restore me. But this idea of we keep on having in this present reality, it's the work of the Holy Spirit through Christ on earth as our advocate. We have Christ in heaven, but the Spirit of God while we're here on earth. Watch the meaning of the word advocate. It's the Latin word that carries a legal meaning. It's a term composed of two compound words. Ad, to, that's what it means, ad, to, voca, call, or one called two, and that's the shout. When I fall, when I come short of his glory, I have one to call two. And there are many of us this morning who know that if we didn't have one to call two, we would be in deep trouble. But we are celebrating the fact that we called to him and we called on him. And what did he do? He rescued us. It's the Latin equivalent to the parakletos, which means one who not only is called, but one who is called to walk alongside us. In this legal sense, it refers to a lawyer 
especially one on behalf of the defense who stands alongside his client in the courtroom. The New Berkeley translation reads it this way, Jesus is the counsel for the defense. And here's what I came to tell you today. In verse one and two, I'm shouting this morning, this is my story because my defense attorney first gave me assurance of an acquittal. I've been acquitted from what Paul describes in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But I've been given an acquittal. That means that God has not only set me free from the penalty of sin, which is death, for the wages of sin is death. And anyone who might suggest that they are not Likewise, been acquitted because they are believers. Remember, Romans 3.23 says, For we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This acquittal should remind us that none of us have a right to point a finger at anyone who has fallen into any kind of moral decline or whose action now may not portray the best in the Christ-likeness. It's not as if we were born to perfectly walk this path of righteousness. But with the help of God, we are daily working out our soul's salvation. We're not completely made. God is working on us. There are areas of our life that we're trying to get better at each and every day. But we shout because we know that because we violated doesn't mean that we will be subject to its penalty death. We've been acquitted. And I'm shouting because Jesus is my defense attorney. Every time I fall short of his glory, he stands at the throne to plead my case. But I'm also shouting secondly because John says my defense attorney has not only have given me an acquittal, but he's granted me forgiveness. So not only was the crime death in the sense of his penalty, but we also stand in the need of forgiveness because we recognize that the after effect could be both an emotional and psychological problem. And yet God forgives us from the crime and restores us. What if God held all of our crimes against us and we may not suffer death, but he makes us pay for them all. That's enough news right there to shout by itself that he doesn't do that. God doesn't hold us accountable, but instead forgiveness. Forgiveness. And this is probably why Jesus tells us in the gospel writer of Matthew that you must forgive so that you can be forgiven. Because as the Father has forgiven you, so the Father expects for you to forgive. Set people free even from the crime, the offense that they commit against us. Then there's a final thing that I want to say in this text. And John says that Jesus also grants us 
authenticity through resurrection. When he acquits us and forgives us, he doesn't leave us in the space that he found us. But in his process of restoration, he lifts us to another level of life which is full of expectation and prospect. And that's what makes serving God so powerful when I know that I've fallen short, yet he still permits me to reach, as Paul says, toward the mark of the high calling. He's helping us in this resurrection and restoration piece to leave behind what's in the past and grasp what's in the future. His forgiveness was not just for us, but for the whole world, says verse 2. And then verse 3 says, but by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. I don't know about you, but I'm a working progress. And that's what I believe John is trying to convey in this text. Even when we've fallen short, we are working progress each and every day. I got a sneaky suspicion this is not just my story, but this is your story as well. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, in this hour in which we've heard your word, whereby you have set the captive free, your life in the giving of your son gives us liberty and freedom, makes us new creations through Jesus Christ. Save someone now that calls on your name, that have come to recognize that in you is new life. They have an advocate in which they can be assured of their salvation because it has been purchased by you. This can become their story, for we ask it in Christ's name, amen. If you are with us this morning and you've been listening to this word, here's a chance for you to consider where you are in terms of your eternity. If you've never met Christ, it's very simple. Romans 10, 9 and 10 simply tells us if thou confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Salvation is simple, but yet once you become born again, it's a process and a lifelong journey. But I would suggest that your life probably would never be the same when you come to know him in a very personal way. So I pray that you make that decision today. To all of our members and friends of the Great Lausanne Baptist Church, we certainly encourage you and thank you for your consistent contribution to the ministry. And we encourage you after this service, as we typically do, to go to your e-giving to continue to support us by way of text. Or you can go to the website by way of e-giving on the website and give. Or you can mail in your contribution. We again thank you for every single opportunity in which you've gathered and given us to share in the preaching of this word. My prayer is that this word has blessed you today. Remember, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad with him. Now may God's peace and grace be with you until we meet again. Henceforth, now and forevermore, everybody say amen. Hug yourself and tell yourself God loves you and know that so do I. Have a blessed, wonderful day.
Don't see about me. I need you right now. 